Okay, uh, very good morning again and welcome to this week's podcast. Today we are going to be talking about casino game trends. Uh, And again, we're here with two guys from uh, Arcadum. Uh, Lovely to have you here again this morning. So good morning to you both. Morning. Good morning. Obviously, this is a massive subject right now, and, and 2020 has been literally the strangest year for most businesses that we've that we've briefly touched on in some of our other podcasts over the last couple of weeks. Again, apart from the sort of clear disruption which has sort of occurred and the sort of continuing change in all of our lifestyles, how do you think that sort of 2020 has sort of impacted overall the sort of gaming industry so far? So with the impact was first felt in sportsbook, um, which is not part of the game industry, but it's very closely related because it's part of the gambling industry. And when all the sports kind of evaporated, it boosted casino, of course, but mm-hmm. virtual sports actually became more prevalent and e-games, e-gaming sports like um, FIFA tournaments and CSGO and everything became really popular as well because people, unfortunately, when they've not can't bet on the football or the rugby or something like that, they want to bet on something else. Um and there's professional gamblers out there and that's why they were doing that as well. In regards to casino, the way I think it's impacted more is, as we mentioned uh, last time, we got more responsible, um, restrictions were put in place and we wanted to look more after the players from a casino standpoint and from a provider standpoint. But it's actually, I think, personally changed a lot of the trends in the industry that we've seen from the games themselves. Um, I can't vouch for other providers, but I can, I can vouch for ourselves. We have a very distinct roadmap. You know, we've got a very big roadmap. And we even move some games around to, to allow the themes to become more prevalent. So with with these trends now, players want to be more fantastical and enjoy what they're playing. They don't want seriousness. They want to think back to a time when things are good because let's face it, it's not a very good time at the moment. We're, unfortunately, yeah. now we're in second wave as well, which is even worse. So I feel like players wanted to see kind of that fantasy trend which we have with Starfang next year, which unfortunately most likely will still be in this predicament. The Neon Samurai was looking towards that futuristic kind of environment, but it felt like total recall and things like that, the nature of the 80s. So people got that nostalgic feel. And with the Christmas game Evil Elf, the night before Christmas, Frostbridge is coming in and she's destroying Christmas. So, you know, we're not really celebrating 2020 this year, are we? She's coming in and destroying 2024 ends. So I feel like players are going to enjoy that funness. And I think that we can see that for other games in the industry. We want to bring that joy to players, but obviously be responsible at the same time. So do you think, I suppose, really, you know, when we look at how bad 2020 has been, which it has been and, and still continues to be so, do you think it's that's the type of trend then that we're sort of almost moving towards? Is that sort of fantasy trend of people just to go, you know what, I actually just want to completely forget what's going on around me. You know, I want to close the door and I just want to enjoy betting on stuff and gambling with this sort of stuff. And then that's think, the, almost the trend that's coming. I think we've already seen that before. Uh, this happened because if you look at the movie industry and the video game industry we actually seen those like old school films be rebooted or hinting back to that with like the Wonder Woman films or the Marvel films and with video games as well we have some games that are like neonistic and futuristic and some sequels coming out to big gaming franchises so I think people are already kind of building towards that anyway but I think with what's happened during the pandemic it's just kind of stuck a rocket up it and it sent it even further that way um, I do think this trend will continue for maybe a year, two years. We'll see like more people wanting to that nostalgic effect, that fantasy, that non-serious kind of thing. But there will be a small market for like serious content as always is. But I feel like that will come back into trend more a year or two from now. Like pirates will come back in force. 
But at the moment, I, I feel like people don't have that fantasy element or that kind of joyful element, like we have, for instance, in the game Tap House, where it, it's really fun in the base game. People are having a drink together and they're having fun. But then in the, in the bonus game, we have kind of that sinister the highwayman bandit feel. And I feel like people are going to enjoy that trend, you know, back in that kind of atmosphere, having fun. Um, yeah. Because, you know, people having fun responsibly is always great. And I suppose that leads into, I suppose, if we look at, you know, the trends and if this trend is going to stick around for the next year to two years, how are we and how does our roadmap look like in order to make sure that we're going to sort of utilize and stay with that trend over the next while? Um, so with the roadmap that we have, it's it is big. Um, I can confidently say, as Christian can see and yourself has seen in the past, we have four years worth of games planned already. So we have the ability to be very flexible and we yep. can evolve as well and we can tweak these ideas because what we like to do is we like to have games ready well in advance. So if any change needs to be made or you know people will love the game, we can you know, maybe push it forward or push it back and move things around and be flexible as a company. And I feel like that's a really big thing to do, especially with this pandemic, because no one was flexible during the start of it. But people have become very flexible in terms of remote working and, and staff, but they also need to do that with a product as well. And I feel like we're going to start seeing companies do that in general across all industries in the next coming months. So one of the things I was going to talk about is obviously, you know, what led on from Philip, what you were just saying there is the the important and the use of innovation in the sort of industry. And, you know, we hear an awful lot about augmented reality and virtual reality and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. How is that sort of technological innovation going to sort of affect our roadmap over the next couple of years and the games that we bring out? So if you don't evolve with this industry, and this industry evolves every day, every week, every month, it's constantly evolving. You need to get with the times and you need to think of the future or you're just going to be you're going to be gone. And that's kind of the way we drive the games because we innovate our games. At the moment, the first few games, don't get me wrong, they're very good game mechanics, but they're not revolutionary. The mechanics coming out more to the middle and the end of next year are going to be bigger and they're going to be more flashier and there's going to be more stuff to do. But our focus initially has been to drive quality and that drives innovation. And you're going to see that with Arcadium's games, as I mentioned there, in the future. But I feel with the virtual reality and the augmented reality, I believe it's very dangerous for the industry because right. it's, it's completely new technology. We don't know it enough. It's The technology is not even like fully there yet. My concern is that from a responsible gambling front because it's a different story than someone sitting in front of a computer screen. They can just go. They can like look away and you know they're not going to see the, the casino or the sports book or whatever they're gambling on. But with a virtual reality, they're, they're in it. It's, mm-hmm. it's They're immersed and it's very difficult for them to take that pause to then go away from that. So that's my concern from the response coming front. And I do think the way it is at the moment, because it's, it's like the Wild West, we have no idea. It's not regulated. It's not a part of the gambling sphere. It could encourage underage gambling because who do we really know is picking up this headset? They'd have to be a complex system to verify age, and it's because these systems are in place. I think it's such a dangerous thing to be doing at the moment. And for Arcadium's games, until there's something that we can have more scope on and the technology is there, we're not going to even consider it. And I suppose, really, that way, you know, when this technology does come and become prevalent, you know, mm-hmm. and it's obviously it's licensed and so on and so forth. Do you think that then actually, the, in the essence of iGaming, do you think that actually what will change iGaming in itself by bringing some of this new technology and once it is regulated and licensed and so on? If, if it comes in and it's, you know, as you mentioned there, it's regulated and we can kind of attach rules and regulations onto it so we can 
attach responsible gambling features to it and we can make the player experience safe. I think people will pick it up. But again, it's very difficult because if it comes like a more social casino, then it's difficult to regulate who's speaking to who. And then it becomes like a kind of a chat room and it gets even more dangerous because problem gamblers might come in and encourage other people who've got problem gambling addictions to gamble more. Or it could be someone who was just getting used to casino experience could be confused and overwhelmed by all these people who know what they're doing and intimidated. So it's going to be a very difficult process. If it's a more social aspect, I think there'll have to be even more rules and regulations or if it's just going to be a user-only experience where it's just them as it currently is. Yeah, and I suppose from us as a from a company perspective, we've got to be looking ahead always and try and be progressive and looking ahead to see what mm-hmm. it is. And then I suppose from us, and again from you guys, it'd be good to hear from from the two of you on this. How do we incorporate that technology and those sorts of new trends when they do come along into our games? From whether you're you know on mobile, is it themes, artwork, the type of strategies that we use? Does that sort of you know coherently change what we're trying to put out there to the consumer? itself we always try to be in the forefront of the new technology uh, so VR and AR as well we're always looking into it but it's something we see at the moment it's the technology is still too new uh, it's too expensive uh, but we still always look for the future and try to see what's the next trend coming to make sure that we're future proof uh, so we always look one year ahead normally it's always as Philip said before if you don't evolve you don't um, move forward in, the, in this industry and with the artwork and the music and the themes of the games we're already thinking well into the future you know we have games such as the Neon Samurai Kawa we have um, Frostbreeze the Evil Elf and, and we have Starfang that's coming out next year and we have other games as well where these games are having sequels this, I've, we've already designed the sequels we've already got this story in mind for these games so we're not just saying we're going to put this game out there we've got these characters they're really good characters they're going to have one game and that's it. We're going to take these characters and they're going to evolve with every game and players are going to see this evolution and they're going to get the storyline and it's going to be really cool for me as, as, as director of gaming to see our story progress because I'm going to see these characters evolve. And when you design these characters the way our team does, they're kind of part of the arcade and family as well. We discuss all the time in our team, oh, Frostbreeze, Mischievous Adventures, what's she going to do next? And we've been making some really cool animations um, for yeah. marketing for, for Christmas. And with Aiden in Starfank, he's fighting Morrigan as we released on LinkedIn a few weeks ago. Um, players are going to see that in game and they're going to see that fight and they're going to see these two characters go at it. And, but their story is going to progress as well, but in very different ways. And I feel like players are going to enjoy that. They're going to see these Easter eggs and they're going to know, know this is part of the Arcadium and the family and the Arcadium story for these games. And I think that's going to be a big part in what drives us. And I think that's our innovation. We're bringing story, quality and great sounding music to these games. I just want to pivot ever so slightly. I want to talk about sort of data analytics and how that sort of transformed the way the games are structured. Um, do we as a company sort of rely on that sort of analytical and sort of data approach? Well, for analytics are always very important for any uh, operation you do, or from a commercial standpoint to product and development. Uh, from a commercial standpoint, we, we, we can analyze how the games are performing certain markets. Uh, from a design and strategy point, we can analyze uh, what the trends are going, what people are betting on playing, how they're playing, and then try to make games that people want to play. Yes, I fully agree. When I used to help run casinos, I used to look at figures all the time. 
just to see if you know players are going to a certain game and why are they going to this game mm-hmm. and sometimes I would be like oh this game I don't think it's good at all I'm, I'm not going to you know, really put it in a nice place where players can see it but players would prove me wrong they would flock to this game they would really enjoy it and I'd be like okay I made a mistake there clearly this is what players want to enjoy playing I will make a note of that for the future so then if I see a game like this I will put this in a place where players can see it and enjoy the experience on this other game so it's about learning and this is why we need these analytics not just from a business like a commercial standpoint as Christian mentioned but for to make the player experience better because if we can see these figures and players are really loving this theme, I'm thinking, wow, let's give them another great game that's theme like this to enjoy as well. So I suppose really that leads into the fact that, you know, are we and could we, based on this sort of experience that you guys have got in the industry, structure our games in such a way that, you know, we're relying on this data that will then provide a, an even better experience to our audience that are going out there and enjoying the games? I believe using data is very important and it assists the process. But if you just do full data analytics and have that, it will kill creativity. Yeah. So it's kind of getting the right balance between the two because you still want to be creative, you still want to be innovative because if you just go on numbers, it's going to stop you creating new things. So I feel like the balance, if you get it just right, you'll make some really great games. But if you tip it in either way, it's not going to be that good. So I suppose this one is going to be my final question. And I suppose, you know, a lot of talk around the industry right now is about cryptocurrencies mm-hmm. um, and the fact that, you know, they're on the rise, you know, globally on a global scale, right? What are your thoughts of the, the use of cryptocurrencies within iGaming right now? So with our games, they're available in pretty much most currencies in the world because if a casino is licensed, we're not really fussed what currency the player's playing the game in. All we care about is if the player can load the game up, they can see the game in what currency they want to use, and they can see the game in the language that they natively speak. So the player can enjoy the experience no matter what part of the world they come from. We don't want to alienate anyone. We want everyone to be inclusive and enjoy the experience. So when it comes to crypto, it is a bit of a weird scenario because it's not just a gambling industry, it is crypto. It's very good things. Unfortunately, some of it has been linked to crime. But if we can partner with a, a, a licensed casino who's doing you know, crypto in a responsible way and it's totally safe for the player, great. You know, we, we want to be able to have that player enjoy the experience the way they want to. But we won't go into places where they're unlicensed and we're not too sure if the player is safe and the cryptocurrency is just, you know, we don't know if the player is going to get conned out of it. We wouldn't never do that. We'd always make sure that we're thinking of the player while we do these kind of partnerships as well. And again, it all comes back down to what we've we've talked about from day one is is our approach to the customer that we want to make sure that they have the, the best possible experience, whether they're using you know the first game or the or the fiftieth game. It's it's the experience that they have that they take That's the enjoyment correct. from it. Especially now with cryptocurrencies on the rise and getting more and more regulated all over the world, we feel, we feel it's very important to be able to support uh, this currency when when where it's regulated for the casinos. So it's a uh, the world is changing, so we need to be on the forefront in this as well with cryptocurrencies. Cool. Right, guys, I actually had one additional question that I wanted to sort of just to pitch out there, okay? So so if we're using a traditional approach to gaming is one and totally avant-garde is 10, where do you think we should position Arcadum's games? So, uh, funnily enough, I disagree with the 10 because I think we're a 20 because we don't do things via norm. We... Oh myself and a team when we're designing this game from development to artistic work concept or, or whatever the, whatever stage in the process we talk 
about these games like they are family and we treat the characters as I mentioned before like family and we that quality is driven throughout the work and we see that in the results and we don't and if you look at our like kind of marketing on, on social media at the moment and even doing these podcasts we're very outside the box and I think that describes Arcade in a nutshell you know we're an arcade machine but we don't follow the arcade machine we just break out of the arcade machine and we show you the great content that we have and we like to celebrate it and we like to celebrate all members of our team together and very flat and we we just enjoy the experience every day you get up for work and you're talking to each other and everyone's really excited about what they're doing and it's it's fantastic brilliant stuff all right well lads as always a pleasure to speak to you both um thanks very much for for taking the time today um and look forward to uh to next week's podcast all right so enjoy the rest of your day thanks guys take care thank you very much bye bye bye